Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamakos Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and uh, we've just had a pretty big, pretty big start to the year. Sandu, we had a little bit of a little bit of a rest after uh, UFC 257, but the fallout continues. We will address that on this week's show. But this week, Sandu, it is all about the old stages, isn't it? Frankie Edgar in the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 184 this weekend. And the Ream himself, the Demolition Man, Alistair Overeem, in that main event. But before we dive into all of that, how was the Rumble, Sandu? It was good, mate. The Royal Rumble took place on Sunday. And I have to say, for the, the time I've been working with BT Sport, this was, by a country mile, the most fun I've had on a shift. I think the Royal Rumble is always that time of year when casual fans, old school fans, kind of come back in to the world of the WWE fans perhaps that don't watch the product on a week-in, week-out basis because this is kind of WrestleMania season we're in right now, right? So it's kind of very easy for someone to kind of dip in for a few months. You know the winner of the Royal Rumble will go ahead and main event WrestleMania. So it's it's you know, asking too much to stick around for maybe uh, an 8- to 12-week program. It was fun, man. It was a lot of fun. I thought the pacing of the show was great. I thought the winners, fantastic choices in terms of who won both the men and women's Rumble. And it sets everything up nicely for WrestleMania. I know Bill Goldberg put in a an early appearance uh, in one of the early matches. Who was the oldest, or the, you know the uh, the oldest of old school competitors in the actual Rumble match itself? Because I didn't get a chance to watch it live, so I don't. I need, I've only heard like highlights. So you know, I'm not entirely sure, but I actually think it might be the winner. So Edge won it, and I've got to imagine he's somewhere in his forties. Oh yeah. So maybe, I mean, talking late 40s even. So, and the fact that he won it, he's already a Hall of Famer. He's, you know, there was some pretty nice trivia coming out. He's the first WWE Hall of Famer to win the Royal Rumble after the induction. So I actually think it might be, I think it might be Edge. If it's not Edge, it's maybe Christian. Christian came back. He looked pretty good. In the rumble, there weren't any kind of like really, really old guys in there. Like Ric Flair wasn't walking down the aisle to to enter the Royal Rumble or, or anything like that. Um, and then Goldberg, I think, with a lot of speculation about him perhaps entering the rumble, he didn't enter the rumble. So yeah, I think it's Edge. It's funny you talk about Ric Flair. He's too busy sending video messages to Michael Chandler this week. I know um, that was that was kind of a cool moment. I thought because uh, Chandler obviously. Uh, taking quite a bit from Ric Flair in his uh, post-fight uh, interview after the win over Dan Hooker. And uh, they made it happen. A few people talked to a, to, to a few other people, and there we go. We had Ric Flair doing a video call with, with Michael Chandler, which was nice. But uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. And now it's all about what happens in 2021. And yet the UFC lightweight division has got plenty to discuss uh, as we move in. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But first off, Let's talk about Alistair Overeem, Sandu. He's the main event this weekend, and we'll we'll, we'll delve into the fight card properly uh, a bit later on. But let's talk about the ring. British-born Alistair Overeem. We are the Brit Pack, and uh, it would be remiss of us not to mention born in Hounslow, which I don't think is too far from where from where you grew up, Sandu. Mate, it? it's a stone's throw away from where I grew up in Southall, but I actually went to Hounslow College, so I know Hounslow really well. There you go. You're virtually related. So... <laughs> But no, it's 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 uh, an incredible thing. He's been in he's been in the UFC for what seems like forever. But here's the thing: when he came to the UFC, he was already an elite 
fighter. You know, he wasn't coming in at the start of his career. He was coming in at his peak. And for him to still be going after so many fights, it's it's remarkable that he's still, he's not just still going, he's still operating at the highest level. And he still has designs on a world title, Sandu. And in that heavyweight division, anything is possible. Fights can be won and lost in a blink of an eye. And you only need to get one or two big wins. All of a sudden, you're right there. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes this weekend. Yeah, Dream Champion, K1 Champion, Strike Force Champion. He's done it all except the big one in mixed martial arts, which is the UFC Championship. And he's come as close as you can possibly get. And so he's on this one final run. The one thing he mentioned this past week, which I personally wasn't the biggest fan of, was the fact that he said, if he wins the UFC Heavyweight Championship, he's going to then retire. That isn't something I think Dana White and the UFC want to hear from someone they're putting into a situation to contend for said championship. So didn't, don't think that quote did him any favors. Obviously, he still has a lot of work to do to even get a crack at the title, just looking at the landscape of the heavyweight division. Stipe and Francis fighting fairly soon. You've got John Jones bulking up, who will probably most likely end up fighting the winner of that contest. So regardless, I think Asna Overeem is going to have to put in a shift in 2020, 2021 rather. Uh, and, and in case someone falls out, maybe he can slot back in. But obviously, he, he's got to get the business done this weekend. But to your point earlier on, Simon, you know, he's been around the block twice, three times over, and he's had to change his, his strategy and his game plan and how he approaches the fight business and the sport. The, the, the level of competition continues to, you know, get better and better as the years go on. And he's always there or thereabouts. And he's been to, I think, pretty much every camp you can be to, uh, to, to gain knowledge from various coaches and sparring partners. So, man, you've got to give it to the demolition, man. Alistair Overeem still ticking. Yeah, 66 pro MMA fights. And uh, I think he said he's, he's close to 100 overall. Uh, when you take his, his kickboxing career and all the rest of it into account as well. So, yeah, he's been there, seen it, done it. And if you haven't checked out, for those of you who haven't checked out his his documentary series, The Ream, which I think you can still get on Vimeo. If you go on Vimeo and look up uh, The Ream documentary, some of those old documentaries were just incredible. The one where he fought Brock Lesnar, which was his UFC debut, by the way. I mean, what a way to make an introduction into the UFC to fight Brock Lesnar and stop him uh, in the first round. Um, the way that they did that, it really nicely shot, all black and white, some cool cage side footage. They had uh, fans sent them footage of themselves watching the fight live that they kind of spliced in, in almost so it was in real time. Looked really good. And also the, the other one I would recommend is it's like two or three or maybe even four episodes they're all about 20 minutes, half an hour long, um, but it's well worth your time. It's the period when he was in the K1 World Grand Prix, uh, which he obviously went on to win. Um, and just the way that tournament was just full of absolute killers, the you know legends of the kickboxing world. And he went through and won the thing. So it was, it was remarkable. And you get a real sense of just what this man accomplished in his in his career before he even got to the UFC. So if you've got any spare time on your hands, we're all in lockdown right now. So, uh, you know, once you've got your day job out of the way and the kids are packed off to bed, maybe give um, give give Netflix the boot and uh, jump on Vimeo. Check out The Ream if you haven't already. 
it is well, well worth your time. Uh, a legend of the sport, Sandu. And I think if you're looking at athletes who have been in the UFC and you're doing a short list of fighters who are the best fighters in UFC history not to have won a belt, I think he's got to be right up there, isn't he? I mean, if he if he isn't number one, then he's got to be in the top two or three for sure. I mean, Joe Benavidez springs to mind as another one who I think deserves a shout. Um, but I think over him, you think how much he's done in the sport. He might be the best fighter not to win a UFC title who's actually had a, a good run in the UFC. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, you know, Joe Benavides is a good shout. I think you've got to put Tony Ferguson in the conversation there. Yeah. Uriah Faber, I know, you know, technically when the weight class wasn't here in the UFC, he was the WEC champion. But if you want to talk specifically, you know, the status of UFC champion, you've got to put Uriah Faber in the conversation considering how many title shots he had, right? Um, but yeah, Alistair Overeem's definitely, in terms of heavyweights, he's, he's, he's maybe arguably number one, you know? Like I said earlier on, he's had a crack, didn't go his way, and now he's you know working his way to try and get a second shot at that UFC champion championship. And I tell you what, talk about someone who hasn't allowed the losses to affect him or completely derail his career in the UFC. There was a moment where we thought, oh, well, that's it. You know, he, he's taken some losses, and they're they're going to feed him to some young guns. And that's just a vicious cycle of, of combat sports. The old get fed to the young. But kudos to Alistair Overeem, you know, the, the, the savvy veteran that he is. His, his ring generalship, his fight IQ is just so far and beyond everybody else uh, in that weight class. Perhaps outside of the champion right now, Stipe Miocic, and or if, uh, if John Jones comes up. I'll tell you what, I know we're not going to talk about the, the fight card until a little bit later on. It does make me think about the year in general, Simon, 2021. So you've got Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou who are going to fight for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. You've got John Jones, who's going to be coming up to heavyweight. He's bulking up right now. He's in the gym, you know, hitting the weight room. You've got someone like Alistair Overeem, who's got incredible name value. And a win this weekend certainly helps his case moving forward as well. I'm going to put you on the spot right now, Simon. By the end of the year, who is the UFC heavyweight champion? Oh, that's an easy one for me. That's an easy one for me. It'll be Francis Ngannou. And now, by saying that, I am not necessarily saying that he's going to beat Stipe Miocic, by the way, mm. at UFC 260. I think Stipe Miocic, after UFC 260, may well hang them up. Um, I think if he beats Francis Ngannou again, and I, if I was a betting man right now, I'd probably bet on him to do that. Um, I don't know if there's much more for him to prove at heavyweight. He might hang around for a John Jones fight, maybe. But beyond that, there isn't real. I think by the end of the year, Stipe may well have hung them up. Um, I'm slightly surprised that he didn't already. I thought he might do it after the after the Daniel Cormier trilogy, to be honest. But he's still there. Um, and I think by the time we get to the very end of the year, we'll see one more big heavyweight fight in December. And Francis Ngannou will be in that fight and Francis Ngannou will win that fight. If it's John Jones, I think Francis Ngannou will beat John Jones. If it's a rematch with Stipe Miocic, I think third time round, maybe he will beat Stipe Miocic. But I just have a feeling that no matter what happens at UFC 260, as I say, I'm leaning towards Miocic in, that, in the rematch in a minute. 
I just think that by the time we get to the end of the year, Francis Ngannou is going to be uh, going to be parading around with a big gold belt around his waist or over his shoulder because it probably won't fit him. That's very interesting. I'm actually also picking Francis Ngannou to become the heavyweight champion and stick around and still be the heavyweight champion by the end of the year. Although I have to say, I think if Stipe Miocic beats him, I think it's almost a bang-on certainty that he's going to hang around for one more, and that'll only be John Jones. And I'll tell you why. It would cement his legacy even further, because when you're talking about the GOAT and the greatest of all time, John Jones is either number one, or at worst, he's like number two and number three, depending on who you're speaking to and you know, you know what the category is with regards to USADA tests and positive drug tests and, and all the rest of it, right? But more importantly than that, it's the biggest payday for Steve Miocic or whoever the heavyweight champion is because John Jones would, the second he becomes a heavyweight and he's entering the weight class, which is, I guess, just a, a, a question of, you know, a fight being announced, he officially becomes the biggest draw in the heavyweight division. That's it. Stone Cold, done. That's it. The fact that Israel Adesanya is going to play heavyweight tells you everything you need to know about 205. John Jones was the anchor of that division because he was the one that was getting the eyeballs on all of his, you know, title fights. Stipe Miocic, both from a prize fighter perspective, but also cementing his legacy. I think there's absolutely no way in hell he declines the opportunity to fight John Jones if he gets past Francis Ngannou. Now, me personally, like I said, I agree with you. I think Francis Ngannou is going to beat Stipe Miocic. And I think that sets up an incredibly huge fight against John Jones. It's almost like the GOAT versus Francis Ngannou, who's currently the scariest man on the planet. He becomes a UFC heavyweight champion. He's then the baddest man on the planet. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to monitor the politics of this whole situation. Because if Francis beats Stipe, it's then one and one. And Stipe's narrative is going to be trilogy fight, right? Francis Ngannou, on the other hand, he'd want to get that John Jones fight as soon as possible. He wanted it now. He wanted it before there was a title on the line because he, he realizes, him and his team realize what a massive fight that would be. John Jones' very first fight heavyweight is going to have so much interest from fans, from media, from casuals, and all the rest of it. Turning the conversation back to Alistair Overeem, he could be someone the UFC could use within the realm of, of negotiation, within the realm of some of the backstage politics could be a pawn depending on how they figure out these fights between Francis and Stipe and, and John Jones, depending on what the, the outcome is of everything. But I, I think, you know, when I put out a few polls over the last couple of weeks, the heavyweight division, the heavyweight championship and John Jones being in a heavyweight division is by far what has got the most fan interest so far this year, more so than any other division, lightweight, Conor McGregor, and all the rest of it. I think right now, from what I can see from fans, uh, based on some of the, the the Twitter polls and bits and pieces I've put out there and scanning through comments, heavyweight division in 2021 is going to be very, very interesting. And I'm kind of glad that we're kind of kicking off the year in Q1 with a heavyweight championship fight because Stipe only fighting once a year, just, you know, that's not enough to, I guess, um, to wet our appetites, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And here's the thing, right? And and I completely see why everyone's buzzing about it because John Jones is, if he's not the number one, and he is my number one, by the way, he is for me, I know he's had his indiscretions and all the rest of it. He's the best mixed martial artist I have ever seen. Okay? No doubt about it. And, and for him to then move up to heavyweight where 
all of those skills could be rendered completely useless by one punch. That's what we're talking about. Granted, you, you could argue the same at light heavyweight, but at heavyweight with the likes of Francis Ngannou sort of rocking about the place, one punch is all it needs. And John, everything John Jones has at his disposal becomes completely irrelevant if he connects. So that's the, it's that danger factor. People like to see vulnerable champions. And I, I don't think, I don't necessarily, I think that's why people kind of got bored with Demetrius Johnson in the UFC because he was just too good for everybody. I think if someone had turned up in the UFC and ripped through the field and really put him in trouble, they'd be like, wow, okay, we've got ourselves a fight here. No one likes someone to be completely dominant. Have someone on a win streak. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Win streaks are great. But you want that chink of light, you, you know, the sort of the chink in the arm. It's okay. Well, this guy is clearly, you know, can be beaten, but no one's managed it yet. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you don't want someone to go in there and look completely bulletproof. John Jones has looked pretty bulletproof so far. Um, at heavyweight, he's not going to be bulletproof anymore. So it's how can he use those skills? And that's that's where the real buzz is. And talking about Stipe Miocic, can you imagine? Can you imagine if he gets the if he he beats Ngannou and he gets the fight with John Jones and he beats John Jones? That means he's beaten John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Nuts. That's in that's in he he was already the greatest heavyweight of all time. In, certainly in UFC history, you can argue the case with Fedor and all the rest of it. But for me, he's already right up there. But imagine if he, he walks off into the sunset, having finished well or defeated Daniel Cormier and John Jones, two of the two of the consensus best of all time. Um, that would just be absolutely insane. And for someone like Steve Miocic, who doesn't go out there and make a lot of noise, you know, anybody who's met him or has spoken to him will know he's the most unassuming guy. He's actually hilarious outside of fight week. Um, but when he's in fight week mode, he's quite, he's quite on the down low. He doesn't like to say too much. He just goes out and gets the job done. Um, but for a guy who isn't that big gregarious character that just attracts loads of people on social media and takes people with him for him to go out there and finish his career, with those sort of stats, with those sorts of skins on the wall would be, would be incredible. It really would. And he's already got an incredible, incredible resume, but imagine adding John Jones to that. He's potentially one fight away from having the chance. And that, that's the fascinating thing. This heavyweight division is going to be so much fun this year. Yeah. John Jones, that's the one. It's obviously the DC wins. Fantastic. Everything else is in a heavyweight. Fantastic. Certainly solidifies his position as arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time. The only other person that you could probably throw into the mix is Fedor, but we just never saw his, you know, what he could have done in the UFC. Unfortunately, that just, that opportunity never came to pass. So that debate will go on forever. But if Stipe Miocic becomes the first man, forget the Mark Hamill fight. We all know what's, what's good with that fight. But if he becomes the first man to, to properly, officially defeat John Jones, I mean, that is absolutely legacy-defining. And it really will start to change the conversation with how people perceive and view Steve Miocic in the sport of mixed martial arts. Because I agree, John Jones right now, technically, you know, stylistically, historically, resume perspective, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. To switch gears a little bit, though, Simon, talking about GOATs, talking about the greatest fighters on the planet, let's talk about 
the greatest lightweight of all time. Let's talk about Khabib Namagomedov. Simon, it is February 1st, officially, as we are recording this podcast. And I'm looking at the UFC website, and there he is. Khabib Namagomedov is still the UFC lightweight champion. Now, Dana White said a couple of weeks ago, you know, after having his conversations with Khabib, according to Dana White, Khabib is not interested in holding up this division. He wanted some time to see how some fights would play out. Again, this is all according to Dana White, to see if anybody would excite him or do something spectacular. Well, we had a couple of fights, some pretty big ones, at UFC 257, and it's now a week and change. We haven't heard anything from Khabib. We haven't heard anything from Dana White. We haven't heard anything from the UFC. So my question, Simon, is what is the holdup? Why can't we just move on? Why hasn't Khabib just come out and said, hey, that's it, I have let go of this UFC championship? Because right now I'm feeling for some of the top contenders. I'm talking about your Dustin Poirier's, your Charles Oliveira's, your Mike Chandler's. Throw in the Conor McGregor's and, and everybody else in that lightweight division. What are they fighting for right now? If Khabib is done, then let's you know vacate that UFC championship and let's start to figure out some fights uh, to figure out who's going to contest for that championship belt next. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not that frustrated right now, Simon. But as time passes on, it's I'm only going to get, and I think a lot of other people are only going to start to feel saltier about Khabib because right now he's held in the highest regard. But shit, I'll get the pot. Yeah, I mean, we had this when Connor was featherweight champion and was going off doing all these other fights. He had that. He had that. Um, the one-off fight with Nate Diaz. It was supposed to be uh, Rafael dos Anjos, wasn't it? And then yeah. he got injured, and then he ended up fighting at welterweight against Nate Diaz, and then he lost. So he had to have the rematch. So he had the rematch, and then he won. And then he ends up fighting for he ends up fighting the uh, Madison Square Garden event UFC two hundred five for the lightweight title, which he went on and won all during this time, which was almost a calendar year. If I remember rightly, sort of, you know, the, the length of time this all took, he was hanging on to the featherweight belt and it wasn't being defended. And, uh, the featherweight division were just sort of sitting around scratching their ass thinking, well, what are we supposed to be doing here? You know, it was a good, strong stacked division of, of, uh, of talent, but no one was allowed to fight for the belt because Connor was, almost using it as a marketing tool in all of his, in all of his fights that he was moving on with. So Khabib isn't doing that, but we are at the stage where Khabib needs to, needs to say, look, I'm not doing this anymore. And he needs to be definitive about it. I mean, arguably he has been because he retired in the cage after beating Justin Gaethje. This is the thing. It just keeps being turned back to him when it shouldn't be. And, I don't think Khabib minds too much. I think he kind of enjoys it a little bit, but I also think that it's pretty clear that unless they're going to pull George St. Pierre out of thin air, um, he's not going to, he's not going to come back. So, and even if George St. Pierre does come back, that fight would never happen at 155 pounds because GSP ain't getting down to 155 anytime soon. So all that being said, that title needs to be vacated. It needs to be vacated yesterday, you know? Um, that then poses another question, though, Sandu. Let's 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 assume that good sense prevails, and we wake up tomorrow morning, and the big story of the day is Khabib Nurmagomedov officially relinquishes his title. 
What title fight do we book next? Dustin Poirier doesn't want to fight Michael Chandler. It sounds like the UFC aren't massively interested in putting Charles Oliveira in a title fight. Dustin Poirier wants to fight Conor McGregor. John Kavanagh has come out and said, yeah, we want to do the rematch. We want the rematch. We want the trilogy fight. Let's do it for the belt. And maybe if we can't make that happen, Conor might, might, might go off and box. So, you know what I mean? I mean, Conor McGregor's one and two as a UFC 155-pound fighter. He's three and three in his last six. He's just coming off a knockout loss to the guy he wants to fight for the belt. None of that makes sense. None of it. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but none of it makes sense. Michael Chandler's come in, blown the doors off the place. Great, great performance. Charlie Olives, come. he's on an incredible win streak. If meritocracy counted for anything in his business, he would be a lock for the next title shot. But what fight are we going to see, Sandy? Because the fights we should see are either Poirier Oliveira or Poirier Chandler. But I wonder what we're going to see. I really don't know. It's a fascinating question, Simon, because... This is what we're monitoring right now on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? Every interview, every quote, the politics are being played out there in the open from all the relevant parties, from the Conor McGregor camp via John Kavanagh, Dustin Poirier from the horse's mouth himself. You've got the others jockeying for position. It's a tough one, but and it's not the fight that I personally would make, but I think when it's all said and done, I think we're going to end up seeing Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor three for the title. I just, I just feel like number one, you've got Dustin Poirier. His stock couldn't be higher. He's coming off a win over Conor McGregor in an event that has become one of the biggest selling pay per views in UFC history. Right, that's number one. Number two, you've got Conor McGregor at the negotiation table. The UFC wants to keep Conor McGregor on side. They, they want to keep him happy. They want to be in the Conor McGregor business for a, a, as long time, as long as possible. And talking about UFC pay-per-views, I think Conor's got the top, I think, oh, six or seven, maybe even eight of the top 10 UFC pay-per-views. So when it comes to shifting tickets and, and selling pay-per-views, Conor's your guy. And I think, I'm sorry to say, Michael Chandler and Charles, Charles Oliveira, you just don't have enough bargaining chips on the table when it comes to Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier, man, I'm telling you, the way he's playing this out in the media and some of the, some of his quotes and interviews, he's just like, yep, I'm going to fight Conor McGregor for the title, and if that's not what the UFC wants to do, then Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira can go fight for the title. Wow. I mean, what a line. Like, he's, he's really putting it out there um, because he knows he's finally, really, really finally in a position of incredible power for the first time. And every fighter, we saw this a couple of years ago with Jorge Mazadal, Simon. You know, you've got these fighters that they try and get as you know as as much of a, a highest purse as possible. They try to you know make sure they they are financially compensated as best as possible. And ultimately, this is the position you want to be in. You know, for Jorge Mazadal, it was becoming a BMF champion over Nate Diaz. Right, that's what really solidified it after the, the Diazpin knockout. And for Dustin Poirier, he's in a similar position now after having given Conor McGregor the very first knockout loss of his career. So for me, I think it should be Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. And I've already stated why in a previous episode. What I think will happen, though, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor 3 for the UFC Lightweight Championship. And if that's what happens, it's going to be fascinating to see how 
both the hardcore MMA fan base as well as casual fans react to that piece of news. Yeah, it, it would be a real slap in the face for Oliveira in particular, I think. Um, I think you can argue against giving Michael Chandler a title shot in his second fight with the UFC. Um, I think there are strong arguments you can make against doing that, even though I wouldn't be against it personally. I think there are arguments you can make against it. But to deny Charles Oliveira, um, to de- well, to deny Charles Oliveira by putting Michael Chandler in there is one thing. A three-time Bellator world champion at the same weight class who just came in and scored a huge, a huge win. That's one thing. To deny him a title shot off a guy who is one and two in the division and has just got knocked out by the guy who's the other half of the fight is like a beggar's belief. You can't like, there is no rational explanation for that. However, the two words that could play one of the biggest roles in this entire thing. um, And you need to look out for the prevalence of these two words in the MMA sphere over the next two or three weeks are the words Manny and Pacquiao. Let me tell you why. Manny Pacquiao is signed to Paradigm Sports, who are, of course, the same management company as a certain Conor McGregor Esquire. Um, And one of the reasons why um, he signed was, A, Paradigm are a fantastic management company and do a great job for their clients, but he's also interested in fighting Conor McGregor. He's interested in that fight. He has made no secret of the fact that he is interested in that fight. Leading up to Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier 2, McGregor said talks are intensifying. This fight is really close, basically. And then after the uh, after the defeat, McGregor said that the fight was all but done, as in signed, all but signed. And then we had this uh, a guy by the name of Sean Gibbons, who I believe is the president of Manny Pacquiao Promotions, uh, was quoted, I think, by the Sun, um, saying. I don't think there's any appetite for this fight now or or something along those lines. The demand for that fight isn't there anymore. Uh, That quote went around the world and all of a sudden the world thinks, well, that fight's finished. That's not happening. And Pacquiao fights off the table. Well, there's been a bit of a wrinkle to that story this week, Sandu. I actually covered it for, for junkie Um, paradigm via their, their head Audiatar, who uh, McGregor's longtime manager and head of paradigm sports put out a Twitter graphic just with a, a, a big written statement on it. And it goes into detail. It just basically says, we are the sole representatives of Manny Pacquiao. Anybody else claiming to be a representative of Manny Pacquiao is not so. And there have been some people, I think they called them shady. I think Audi called them shady characters. He said, there's a lot of shady characters in boxing who say a lot of things to further their own needs. And, dam- and it, it, in the long term, it damages the fighters. So he's basically without saying it specifically, what what they're saying is that guy's full of it. This fight is still very much a possibility, and this is the this is the big massive bargaining chip that Conor McGregor and Audi Attar have with the UFC. They've got huge leverage. Yeah, Conor McGregor lost, but he's still their biggest star, and the the opportunity for him to go and box against Manny Pacquiao is a blockbuster fight. Yeah, Pacquiao is not the same fighter he was five, ten years ago. He's still an elite boxer, eight-division world champion, for crying out loud, and still holds a version of the lightweight title, I believe. Um, And then you've got McGregor, who is a superstar. Um, That would be an enormous fight. 
that fight could still happen. That fight may still happen. It was going to happen this year. So it's how they leverage that possibility because they can do all of that in-house. They can book that fight in-house. That's That can be done. If they sat down tomorrow, they said, right, let's make this happen. Everybody sit, sit, sit on a Zoom call. This fight could be done in a day and we could have an announcement by the, by, by the end of tomorrow, right? But getting McGregor back in there for a title fight, they've got to exert some leverage. This is the leverage. So don't be surprised if you hear a few more, a few more Manny Pacquiao, Conor McGregor stories in the coming weeks. I think that's going to prove a big, a big, big thing that uh, the guys will look to push uh, as they as they look to put McGregor back in there. Um, hopefully, we see McGregor in there again. I'm not against him fighting again in the UFC. That's for sure. I want to see him back in there, but I think he should be made to face. A Dan Hooker or a Tony Ferguson. That's my personal view. Who who would you in, a, in an ideal world, Sandu, just before we wrap up and move on from, yeah. from this, who ideally would you want to see Conor McGregor fighting against next? Nate Diaz. I think the time is right to do the Diaz trilogy fight. They're both coming off losses. I think there's obviously history there. It'll still sell a shit ton of pay-per-views. It'll make Connor happy, Diaz happy. It'll make the UFC happy. I think it's a winnable fight for Connor because right now, if you're trying to figure out a, a good way of doing career management, who have you got, you know, ideally the best long-term play with if you're the UFC? Is it Connor McGregor or is it Nate Diaz? Who's been more of a company guy between the two? It's been Connor McGregor. Right, Nate Diaz hasn't fought that frequently. Neither has Connor, to be honest with you. But Connor's fought way more than than Diaz has. And listen, reading the reading the tea leaves, I feel like behind the scenes, Connor's always been a little bit easier for the UFC to negotiate with and get deals done with. So I feel like you put Connor McGregor in a situation where he can fight Diaz, the trilogy fight would be massive anyway. It's a win, like I said, it's a winnable fight. All Connor needs is to get back in there in a high profile fight and get a dub. And he's right back there in the mix again. And like I said a couple of weeks, what I said a week ago, I feel like this is the year of Conor McGregor trilogies. I feel like if he fights Diaz in the summer, he wins that fight, and then he fights Dustin Poirier if Poirier becomes a champion at the end of the year in that trilogy fight. That would be the comeback of comebacks uh, for Conor McGregor. But to answer your question, it's got to be Diaz for me. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's so funny, isn't it? I mean, you think Conor McGregor, you know, the amount of people writing the man off after he lost. He's got a ton of options. He's got a ton of options. If he wants to just drop back into the lightweight pack and build his way up, he's got no end of options there. If he wants to face Nate Diaz, he's got that option there. Jorge Masvidal is a bit of a left-wing possibility as well. He could potentially face him. Max Holloway is a potential option for him. So there's all manner of different options he's got, plus boxing. So... It, it you know it sucks to lose, but McCollum, you know Conor McGregor is still in a pretty pretty good spot, um, and people who want to be in a good spot moving forward include the likes of Alistair Overeem, Frankie Edgar, and people like that, and they're they're in action this weekend. They don't have yeah they are stars of the sport. They don't have the the safety net of the McGregor pulling power. Um, for the likes of Edgar and the likes of Overeem, one more defeat could be it in terms of any hopes that they have to uh, to capture a championship belt again. Uh, Frankie Edgar, obviously former lightweight champion, is now fighting a bantamweight. It's incredible to think that that man held a belt at 155 pounds. He's now competing at 135, where he takes on Corey Sanhagen in the co-main event on Saturday. And you've got Alistair Overeem against Alexander Volkov 
in that main event. Sandu, let's talk about the main event first. Overeem versus Volkov. So many, so many fights between the pair of them. You know, Volkov's had 40 fights. Overeem's had 66 fights. So, you know, experience is not a problem in this one. They both know what the big stage looks like. They're both quite happy to compete in main events. Volkov's a former Bellator champion. Overeem's a former Strike Force champion and a K1 kickbox champion and a dream champion. So they know what it's like to swim in these in these deep waters and to deliver on the big stage. Which one of them walks away with the win, though? Because Volkov, on his day, looks really, really good, but he blows hot and cold. And you've got Overeem, who knows absolutely everything there is to be successful in a heavyweight division. And when he's on, he's really good, but he can get clipped as well, and he's shown problems with his chin uh, over the last few years. So... Which way are you leaning? Just slightly towards Alistair Overeem, Simon. I just feel like when it comes to thinking about recency bias, what have you done for me lately? Alistair Overeem had a really good 2020. Obviously, he had that TKO victory over Walt Harris back in May. And then in September, he had another great TKO victory really late in the, in the fight, in the fifth round against Augusto Sakai. And, and it was actually that performance that really kind of, I guess, you know, surprised me, it uh, impressed me, because I felt like the Augusta Sakai fight and that performance over the course of five rounds is where Overeem was really, I guess, implementing a strategy to, to, to make the, to, to, to draw the fight out, to, to gas out Sakai a little bit as we kind of went to deep waters before he kind of, you know, done the business late on. Um, for Alexander Volkov, Obviously, he had an up-and-down 2020. He had a decision loss to Curtis Blades, and then he defeated Walt Harris via TKO in October. So, again, I'm, I'm slightly leaning towards Alistair Overeem. I just don't feel like the experience is going to have that much of an impact on this particular fight because, like you said, Volkov has got tons of experience himself. Um, I just feel like when it comes to big moments, and look, I'll give Alistair Overeem some credit right now. He himself, as a PR and marketing machine, he is the one that's put this out there, this one last ride. So this is kind of like him marketing his, his, the narrative that he's putting forward in 2021. So the spotlight on this fight and I guess the stakes, if there are any stakes in this fight, have all been because of what Alistair Overeem has put out there in the media. And so a win here and then, wow, three wins on the trot. He's got a nice win streak going and he's got some real momentum to try and push for a title shot later on this year. So that mindset is very interesting for me. To think that that's something that he's putting out there, this one last ride, means he's going to leave it all out there every single fight moving forward. So for me, I'm going to stick with Hounslow's own Alistair Overeem. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Overeem as well. I think it's going to be a really interesting stylistic matchup because... Volkov is a kickboxer, right? He's he's a volume striker. He he will go in there for a heavyweight. He throws a lot of stuff. Um, he, you know, he puts he, he throws a lot of strikes. Um, he's not too comfortable when he gets taken off his feet, but he does enough to survive when he's down there. Um, Alistair Overeem is a former elite level kickboxer. You know, from his K1 days. You know, winning the World Grand Prix and all that. But he doesn't fight like one anymore. He doesn't fight with that style anymore. Um, I think that is partly for self-preservation reasons. 
Um, he's a lot more defensive in his approach these days. And I wonder whether we're going to see a little bit of the old school Alistair Overeem, where he looks to looks to get the fight to the mat. And, uh, I mean, it's easy to remember Alistair Overeem as this massive muscle-bound Hulk that just used to go around knocking people knocking people out. But Overeem's got a ton of submissions on his record. So I think that might be the path to victory for him. I really do. I think that might be the most the most profitable way to bet on this fight as well, looking for an Overeem submission finish. Um, and uh, that's kind of where I think the fight will be won and lost. I think if Overeem can avoid being clipped on the way in and can time his entrances, uh, his entries rather, well, and get the fight to the mat, then I think it will be all over him on the mat. And uh, I see him I see him getting this one done inside the distance, whether it be by sub or whether it be by by ground and pound. And we'll see, you know, the Reem's last ride go on for at least one more fight as he tries to uh, tries to work his way to the top of the heavyweight division. Big fight at Bantamweight in the co-main event, Sandu. Frankie Edgar, we mentioned earlier in the show, former lightweight champion, looking to looking to try and add another belt to his collection. Um, he tried at featherweight against Max Holloway. Um, now he's trying to do it at bantamweight and uh, to become a two division world champion before he retires. He's taking on Corey Sanhagen, who is as good a fighter in that bantamweight division, not to have had a title shot. So it's a, it's a really, really tough task. I've picked Corey Sanhagen to win this one. Um, that is no disrespect to Frankie Edgar, who is an absolute legend in my eyes. I think, you know, the uh, the stuff that he has managed to accomplish in the sport is is nothing short of of epic, given the fact that he's been fighting people who have probably outweighed him by 30 or 40 pounds on fight night sometimes. Um, for him to go out there and be a lightweight champion is, is remarkable. I think he's fighting at his optimum weight, but I just wish that he'd have been doing it five, six, seven years earlier in his career. And then we really would have seen the best of him. So I'm going with Corey Sanhagen, who's a very, very dangerous man. I think he's ranked like second or third in the world right now. So um, I think he beats Frankie Edgar. He's right in there with a shout of getting himself a title shot towards the back end of this year. So he's my pick, the Sandman, Corey Sanhagen. Me too, Simon. I mean, if you just think about recent performances, you've got a split decision win for Frankie Edgar over Pedro Munoz. Again, you know, you went the full 25 minutes, all credit to you, but it wasn't exactly hardcore, super definitive. You know, it was a split decision here we're talking about. And then on the other hand, you got Corey Sandhagen, who absolutely murked Marlon Moraes with a spinning wheel kick. And if you take away his performance against Aljamain Sterling, which you've got to give credit to Sterling, what an incredible submission that was, first round rear naked choke. You put that to the side, Corey Sandhagen's been on a hell of a run the last couple of years. Really good competition, putting in some awesome performances. You put in the age factor and, you know, it's, I, I don't know why I always think like this. And maybe, Simon, I don't know if you feel like you think like this too. When I think about age in perhaps some of the heavier weight classes, things like light heavyweight and heavyweight, I feel like because – as the old saying goes, you know, the, 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 the power is always the final thing to go. I feel like your experience helps you more or helps fighters in the heavier weight classes a little bit more because they just tend to have longer careers. I feel like when it comes to the lower weight classes, things like speed and agility, you know, th those are the kind of the first things to, to, to tend to go. And Frankie Edgar's, you know, 39. He's going to be turning 40 this year. Corey Sandhagen, you know, he's still in his 20s. 
He's got so much more to give to this sport. I think it's a great fight on paper. It's going to be a great litmus test to find out where Frankie Edgar is, but this could end up being a fantastic scout for Corey Sanhagen to have a former UFC champion on his resume. So yeah, I'm picking the Sandman as well, Simon. Yeah, two big fights at the top of that fight card. And actually, you you, you take a look down that fight card. There is some good stuff um, top to bottom on that card. Diego Ferreira versus Benil Dariusha, lightweight, is a big fight at 155 pounds. Cody Stamen, Andre Yule is a good fight at bantamweight. Alexandra Pantoja, who is right on the cusp of title contention at 125 pounds, is going to welcome Manel Cape to the, uh, to the UFC uh, flyweight division. Last time we saw him, he was knocking out Kai Asakura in Rising. Now he's in the UFC. We'll get to see how he does in that. But the final fight we should touch on before we wrap things up, Sandu, Molly McCann, Liverpool's own, Everton's own, Molly McCann, looking to get back into the win column against Brazil's Lara Procopio, uh, who lost her UFC debut uh, last time out. Molly McCann's coming into this. Uh, off, off a defeat. She got beat by uh, Taylor Santos uh, in July last year. But prior to that, she was on a good a good run of form. You know, she picked up a hat-trick of decision wins, was looking stronger with each performance, lost out to Santos last year, and that kind of that kind of pricked the balloon a little bit and uh, has taken the air out of her a little bit. Now she's back. And uh, anybody who knows Molly McCann will know that she will be absolutely raring to go on Saturday night. Um Big opportunity for her to pick up a win and build some momentum through 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be on the, the prelims. So for everybody in the UK, that should be a decent hour uh, to catch a fellow Brit um, fight for the UFC. I think it's a good fight for her, Simon, on paper. I mean, she's coming off a loss, but I think this, is a, this could be a good bounce-back win for Molly McCann. I would like to see a knockout. I mean, she's got knockouts on her resume, Simon. During her UFC run, she's won all of the fights through decision. Obviously, you know, you take your wins how you can get them. But she's got the potential. Uh, she's got that punch power uh, to finish her opponent. So I'd love to see something like that go down if possible, just to kind of almost give her a good start to her 2021 campaign. The only other thing that I've got on my mind, Simon, with regards to this weekend's fight and this weekend's event, and there's something we haven't touched on yet, and really spoken about but we're back in las vegas we are back at the ufc apex and we've spoken about this a little bit in the past but listen in abu dhabi in you know that fight island complex where the protocols are so stringent and they're followed to the letter it's like there's hardly any issues that arise with regards to covid tests and we saw in 2020, when the events shifted back to Las Vegas, there were issues pretty much every week. And some weeks, there were like three or four fights falling out for, for a variety of reasons. Most more often than not, it was COVID related. So I am wondering if now that they've had a chance to reevaluate the situation in Vegas, they've had some time off, they've been in Abu Dhabi. I'm hoping, and my fingers are crossed, that on this new stretch of events back in Las Vegas, they can figure it out. Because it, otherwise, and I felt like this in 2020, you look at a fight card on paper. We're doing the big preview here on the Brit Pack. You're getting hyped up for these fights. And then all of a sudden, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, 
all these fights are falling apart and it kind of puts a you know takes some steam out of the situation so i guess my final question before we wrap things up this week simon is what are your thoughts with regards to the ufc heading back to the apex and um are you confident that things are going to yeah i think i think this is i think fingers crossed we're going to be all right i mean one thing that i'd I'd heard and i by the time this podcast is out hopefully we'll know but there is a rumor doing the rounds that the media who are actually there in vegas might actually get to do in-person interviews um which hasn't been something that they've been able to do uh, since COVID stateside. I know that we've, we've seen it in, in Abu Dhabi, but obviously everybody's tightly ensconced in that, in that bubble and everyone's, everyone's gone through multiple layers of testing. It's a little bit different um, in Vegas where people are flying in and out um, for fight week. So that would be an indicator that they're confident that, you know, things will hold up a bit better this time around. I don't know whether they've tweaked any of the, any of the protocols or anything. You would like to think that, you know, they've got almost a full year now under their belt of dealing with this. When was it like end of March? So it's almost a year now, um, 11 months of, of, uh, dealing with these sorts of things. And, um, I would like to think that things will be a little bit tight. So we've got 14 fights on the card, Sandu. So hopefully, hopefully we have 14 fights, on the card on Saturday night. Um, you know, fighter safety is always number one. You don't want anybody getting, you know, it sounds, sounds silly to some people that we, you know, this is a sport where people get into a cage and beat the snot out of each other, but we want everyone to be okay. We want everybody to go home to their families and yeah, they might be a bit banged up here and there, but we want everybody to go home with their health. And, uh, you know, with, with, with this pandemic flying around, we can't be too, we can't be too careful. So if we lose a few fights along the way, then, then, then so be it. But I think, uh, you know, the UFC have proved already that they are as professional as it, as it gets in sport when it comes to running these events. So, uh, if there are areas that they're able to tighten up, you can guarantee they'll be tightening them up for sure. Absolutely. And with that said, that is the end of the show this week. Uh, you can catch us at thebritpack.substack.com. You can also go to our website, which is thebritpackmma.com. And from there, you can find links to Spotify, to Apple. And if you're on Apple, like I ask every week, please kindly give us a rate and a review because it does really help us on the Apple podcast platform. Uh, but ultimately, Simon, we always want everybody to go to our YouTube channel. That's our big project for 2021. Right now, you can get all the shows on YouTube in an audio-only format, but we're coming with video. That's the goal. That's the plan. We're working on it hard behind the scenes because we want to make sure that when we do go to video, it's looking the bee's knees. So uh, with that being said, Simon, that's everything we got for this week. Yeah, we've got... It's nice to... We had kind of a gap week last week, didn't we? We had a yeah. bit of a week. No UFC last week, so hopefully everyone's batteries are nicely recharged. We've got a good fight night card this weekend, guys. Big names at the top of the card. Great fights all the way down the card. And a Brit ready to do the business on the prelims. We can't ask for anything better as we head into the first event in February. It's the first of a run of events at the UFC Apex. Get ready for the late nights on a Saturday night. Let's enjoy these fights together. Enjoy them all. And we'll speak to you on next week's show. Yeah.